Ethan. Oh. How do you have any ex-girlfriends? We're all in committed relationships now, but... Do I have any ex-girlfriends? Yeah. Yes. How many of them are evil? Um... Two. Nice. Well, <laughs> today we're going to talk about even more evil exes because we're talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh. And then it goes... Versus the world or his seven evil exes? It's the world. Well, the world becomes against him as well. We're, we're going to talk about it, Ethan. <laughs> you fool. Now we're already in the episode. I was going to take a short break between, <laughs> you know how we record in real time and then mm -hmm. we wait here silently 30 seconds for the intro music to play yep. and, then the, <laughs> and then the episode starts and then we start talking. I keep saying there has to be a better way. And so... <laughs> Now I was gonna use that 30 seconds to go refill my drink, maybe get a snack, mm -hmm. go to the bathroom, you know, the stuff you can do in 30 seconds. <laughs> the stuff you do and now after we are, you now start we're recording. recording the episode. Is that, are you happy now? A little bit. Well, welcome, wow. welcome to the lore you know. A podcast where some friends dive in the fantastical and often convoluted lore of the media we grew up with and love. And here to bring you the mostly correct facts about made up things this week are me, Fran. Me, Ethan. And I'm CJ. And look at us. Look at these boys together at last. If you're on YouTube. If you're on YouTube. Also, if you're listening just not on YouTube, the audio version, we're also in the same room still. You just can't see it. You might have imagined that we're in the same room previously, but we were not. You might have thought to yourself, it really sounds like these three <laughs> are in the same microphone. Like when you see old timey radio people singing into the radio and they're all like taking turns sharing onto the microphone, like bobbing their heads in. Uh, that was not the case. No, we, we could try that though. We, <laughs> we could. I'd have to get one of those old timey microphones. I feel like it would get real physical real quickly. Yeah, that's why everyone back then was so fit because they were con they, <laughs> they, had, a they had to constantly yeah, like mosh pit around each other yeah. in order to share the microphone. Well, we were so we didn't know what to do. We we didn't know like what topic to do today up until pretty recently. And then I said to Ethan, we've been real negative lately. We've had a real <laughs> negative energy going on. And then Fran said, well, why don't we do something that you know really well that you like? And I was like, well, all I know about is Zelda. And she said, but you also know about Scott Pilgrim. Yes. And I said, that's right. We have watched that movie so many times it's, it's as my, a friend group. It's my go to get drunk and watch movie. There's a very good Scott Pilgrim drinking game associated with it that we found somewhere else, but we have sort of made it our own with our own rules. It's a very fun time. It's only for the young. Yeah, to I was play. gonna say as, as we've gotten older, far too old to play that. As we've gotten older, the rules have laxed a bit. It's but. more just drink if you want to at this point, but you can use the movie a, as an impetus if you really need it. That's that is a good way to. Well, maybe not always if you want to, but generally just drink if you want to. But no we're too more. old for that shit these days to drink when every pop-up shows up on the screen. 
Yeah, well, yeah, the that's is, just we would die. The Wallace is bitch. Do you guys? So, do you guys want to learn about Scott Pilgrim? You might think to yourself, "I've seen the movie sober many times." Uh huh. And I know all there is to know about Scott Pilgrim. Uh huh. Well, to that I say, well, some people haven't seen the movie, and maybe they want to know what the fuss is about because I think there's a new anime coming out based on it. Well, what should they do then? They should like and subscribe, (laughs) and and rate highly, and. Send us a postcard from whatever city you're in with your home address and your social security number. <laughs> your mother's maiden name. Yeah, send it to my home address. I'll put it up on the screen. <laughs> it's sort of a dox each other situation. As long as it's reciprocal. But no, we're, we will talk a little bit about the movie. I don't want to get too far into it because it's a pretty popular movie. A lot of people have seen it. We'll still talk through it. But I still think it's a pretty cult it's I don't cult, think it's like a mainstream it's a cult movie. classic, but also I think a lot of people don't realize how different it is from the source material, which is the comic books. Oh, or graphic novels, depending on how you, you it. Did you know that Scott Pilgrim was originally a book? Yes. A book? I know, Ethan. Sometimes books can be good things if they have pictures in them. <laughs> Well, we've gone over two book series so far, and I was pretty angry in both episodes. I don't think Magic Treehouse was that bad. (laughs) So I'm hoping that this book series is is going to be different. All right. Well, should we get into it then? Should we describe our protagonist? I mean, we probably should. Scott Pilgrim was dating a high schooler. Scott Pilgrim is not supposed to be likable. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how I will start that? Is that? Okay. Yeah, I will say... (laughs) I was talking to Lizzie about it. She is probably just as knowledgeable about Scott Pilgrim as I am. Um, But she told me I needed to tell everyone that if you do not like the movie because you feel like Scott's just kind of a bad person, but he gets away with it and the movie's pretty okay with that. It's not like that in the books. No, the comics definitely go, Scott's a bad person. Yeah, well, it's a lot more about growth in that one. And in fairness, the movie doesn't have time to really analyze a lot of those things while still hitting mm-hmm. on the main story beats. I mean, it's also it's just a struggle because Michael Sarah is just so likable. I know. Well, that's the other. I think if they cast <laughs> anyone else, it would have been a little right. more like easy to dis to like it, be like, oh, he's a bad guy. I get right, it. Right. Yeah. It's like that thing with uh, with Game of Thrones. You guys remember Game of Thrones? Yeah. And how Tyrion Lannister was supposed to be oh, like a, a pretty dick. shitty dude, but yeah. because everyone loved Peter Dinklage so much, they just like wrote him nicer and nicer as it went. Yeah. To be fair, they ran out of source material in that as well. So they kind of they, had to do they whatever they started wanted. doing That's, a bad job long before they ran out of <laughs> That's source what material. happened in this one, too. But let's begin at the beginning of the timeline, not oh. the books. Oh, oh. indeed. So this is this is a little bit of some background that they don't give you in the movie, but I will give you because this is a podcast about becoming learned. So lucky you guys, <laughs> you guys, you guys. Educate me, self. Scott grew up in Canada. Oh, Toronto or Vancouver? No, he did not grow up in Toronto. Uh, so maybe Vancouver. I don't actually know the town he grew up in, but it wasn't Toronto. It was a small town. Uh, Vancouver's he, not small. He went to high school with two girls and other people. but Only two girls. Class of three. <laughs> That's not a bad. Not bad. <laughs> am I right, Ethan? <laughs> I'd say you've got like a 30% chance of getting a girlfriend in that situation. Nice. <laughs> it's higher than usual. 
<laughs> way higher than usual. So Scott grew up in a small town in Canada where two of his classmates were Lisa Miller and Kim Pine. Uh, initially, Scott didn't seem to have a lot of friends. He just mostly played video games as a young man is to do. Um, but then Lisa started to kind of annoy him. I will say, generally speaking, Scott doesn't like go out of his way to make friends. He kind of is just like annoyed by people. Scott's a slacker, like just mm -hmm. in his very core doesn't really do anything. Doesn't without, have many ambitions. Yeah, well, he doesn't do anything unless like prodded by other people, even yeah. when it's in his best interest to do so, as we will see as the story Doesn't take on. initiative. Correct. Once again, so, not a great partner. Pretty much all of his friends are, they, they just kind of show up in his life and then just kind of do the thing where you just like adopt a guy because you like having him around for some reason. And he's a pretty chill guy. So generally speaking, people seem to at least enjoy having him around enough to be his friend. So this is what happens with Lisa Miller. She is, she comes over to his house unprompted a bunch and hangs out with him while he's playing video games and just kind of watches him the original Let's Play. Oh. And, uh, and the two eventually become friends. And Lisa, who is a little more proactive than Scott, wants to get more friends and wants to get in with the cool group. Oh. So she tells Scott that the two of them should form a band because bands mm. allow you to transcend your social status and become cool. Definitely in high school, yep. So they form the band Sonic and Knuckles and... <laughs> They, I can see why that didn't make it in the movie. There's probably some IP disputes on that one. Well, so, and another thing to point out is uh, Brian, Brian Lee O'Malley, the author of the book, is a gamer boy for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of references to lots of video games. Most of the references are to Legend of Zelda. There's a lot to Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> um, and to a bunch of other like old mm -hmm. Nintendo IPs. Yeah, a gaming boy who is very much showing his age. And that's why <laughs> if you watch the movie, there's all the like the 8-bit sounds right. and graphics and stuff like that. Um, and so... The two of them form their band, uh, but as it is right now, pretty much it's just Lisa playing the guitar and Scott playing the bass, um, neither of which are very good at their instruments. Um, but that changes when one day Scott is assigned Kim Pine as his lab partner. Oh. And at first she is like, oh, I got Scott. I'm going to have to do all the work. This sucks because he's a lazy boy. Yeah. But she eventually warms up to him and... Uh, over the course of high school, they eventually start to flirt with each other. Oh. Ooh. Kim is dating another boy from another school, the Benvy Tech High School. That sounds like a fake boy. One day, Scott comes to high school, and all of the kids are in chaos. There's a bunch of kids, like, dead on the floor. And... Scott's like, what happened? And they're like, it was the Benvy Tech boys. <gasps> they came and they beat everyone up and they stole Kim Pine. <gasps> and he said, then I'm going to go save her. Because at this point, he it's less about being in a relationship, but he wants Kim to be the drummer in his band because Kim plays the drums. A pragmatic choice. Yeah. So he then travels to Benvy Tech High and he goes and he beats up all the kids that are there. And he finds the, quote, final boss. Uh, it's this kid named Simon Lee. 
who is Kim's boyfriend, and she has uh, been chained up at the top of the school, and f- Scott has a big final boss battle with him and beats him up and saves Kim and says, Kim, we should be dating, and also you should be the drummer in my band. And she agrees to both things. There's a lot oh. of commitment at once in a situation where there was a lot of peril. Well, she, well, he just saved her. It was I, very, I, that doesn't it was mean she's dramatic. obligated. That's, that's, I mean, that's usually when you ask a girl something. It's yeah. Like, yeah. When she feels <laughs> obligated, great. So, exactly. You say, excuse me, I again. just took the garbage out. <laughs> once again. Eerily similar to how the conversations go in my house. Uh, so this is when we can kind of introduce this idea of magical realism. Uh, the Scott Pilgrim universe is one that has a lot of fantasy magic elements, uh, but everything's kind of played off as just sort of normal. Um, and so Scott, like beating up a hundred kids in their high school to save Kim is a very video game style thing. And that's very much on purpose. Uh, there's a lot of that in this. Isn't he also like a martial arts champion or something in his region or something like that? He he doesn't really have any like specific experience okay. with anything. That's another thing that's very strange is it's implied that Scott's very good at fighting. Um, but for no but reason. He, he doesn't have any like training uh, or anything. I but mean, everyone knows he's it, good at fighting. It is because he is a gamer. Yeah, he, do, he does get <laughs> a lot of his powers by playing video games. Like he can do the Shoryuken and air juggle and stuff like that. Yeah, this this series is about the power of gaming. Thank God. Well, I'm, I'm glad we can finally tell everyone uh-huh. about, we can evangelize the benefits of <laughs> uh-huh. being a gamer See, so we can stop the hate, stop the persecution. Uh-huh. We were talking about dating in high school and I didn't have anything to say, but now we're getting back into my wheelhouse. <laughs> I like this now. <laughs> um, and so that is Scott's kind of origin story. Um, eventually what happens is Scott and his parents move to Toronto uh, mm. towards the end of Scott's high school career. And the relationship between Scott and Kim kind of fizzles out. And he made no effort to maintain it at a long distance. Yeah. Well, it is also older times. So there's, I know it's hard to believe for the kids out there, but there was no Discord, there was no Skype. You could, there was there, there was, were phones. There were phones, but there weren't cell phones. You could not play Fortnite together. <laughs> yeah. It was all, it was a worse time. <laughs> but. Eventually, Scott goes on to go to university, as they say in Canada, uh, where he meets two more young gentlemen, one Stephen Stills and Wallace Wells. Hold on. What happened to his band Sonic and Knuckles? I mean, it again, it just kind of dissolved because okay. he, he moved because he right. moved away. Uh-huh. Okay. The same thing kind of happens in college where Wallace becomes Scott's friend just because he kind of annoys him until they are friends and just sort of bothers him. And Wallace is gay. And so he's constantly flirting with Scott and being like, you're cute. I like having you around. And Scott's like, I'm not gay. And he's like, that's okay. So <laughs> it's a very good relationship. This The series has a little bit of a weird relationship with homosexuality. Well, uh, so fun fact uh, Brian Lee O'Malley wrote the character Wallace and a bunch of Wallace's boyfriends around his actual roommate who was actually also gay. And so he would always have his roommate bringing over boys and stuff. 
and would like just get hit on in a <laughs> playful way by him. And so he's and, he's based on a real person. And he thought to himself, it wouldn't it be funny if we all three slept in the same bed together? <laughs> yeah. That would, <laughs> just be, no, that would be crazy. No homo bro, but wouldn't that be pretty neat? Uh, and so I mean, if it's a small apartment, it's just once again the what, most pragmatic what can choice. What do we do? What I have no choice. Now that Scott is in university. He is, I guess, skilled enough at the bass where uh, Stephen Stills, who is also a guitar player, decides that they should start a new new band. And they also have another member because at university they meet two women, Julie Powers and Natalie Adams. Mm. And the, the last of two are roommates so julie and natalie are roommates mm -hmm. and eventually steven starts dating julie and encourages natalie to be in their band the with her and scott this makes a lot more sense watching the movie now yeah uh and so the three of them form a band called kid chameleon um there's another member who i think is like their percussionists i say percussionists no because they they start to do some more like experimental stuff <laughs> ah. a lot of like chimes and you know that kind of stuff <laughs> you know how university is so the three of them go on to do the band stuff for a while and they actually start to be pretty successful it turns out that between steven and natalie they are they have a pretty good spread of talent mm -hmm. to this young band um and they start to get courted by like record labels and stuff and Natalie wants to pursue that life more. She becomes a little like enamored with the spotlight. Um, whereas Steven wants to do it more for the music. And Scott agrees with Steven, but pretty much solely on the basis of the other thing sounds like a lot more work. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be doesn't really want to deal with all that. Yeah. Um, so Natalie starts to go by her nickname, which is her first and middle initial put together, which is NV. <gasps> and hence it's is a good born, stage name. Hence is born NV Adams. That's a good stage oh. name. And good choices. The while they are in the band together during the good times, Scott and Envy start dating romantically. Oh. And That's the serious. <laughs> it was pretty serious. <laughs> Um, but as the divide in their band grew and grew, then Envy kind of takes control of the band. There's a joke that she gets to decide what they do with the band because she is the band president, which she was <laughs> voted into by the other two as well, who are just voting for her because she asked them to. Yeah. Um, and so eventually Kid Chameleon breaks up. And because Envy wants to pursue a, a like a real a real music career. Um, and once she starts doing that, then Scott says she stopped liking the music they made together and then she stopped liking me. And then she broke up with him uh, after a particularly bad haircut that he got. And <laughs> this sort of emotionally influenced him for the rest of his life. Or and to never least, get a haircut again. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of goes into a depressive funk for two years. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever been in a depressive funk for yes, two years, you do. but, <laughs> but, uh, you tend to not remember stuff super well. Yeah. And so our story 
the actual story, the beginning of the book, begins after this two-year depressive funk. Uh, Scott has gone through university. He does not remember if he graduated or not. He just knows that university is over. <laughs> um, and he has been just kind of coasting through life. And that is where the books and the movie begin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he... He stays uh, William Wallace's roommate and basically just mooches off of him. Well, because that's the least amount of effort. Yeah. So Wallace does. Um, yeah. Wallace gets like a desk job. It's kind of ambiguous what he does, like on purpose. Right. Um, he, he there's like scenes where he's just like drinking a martini at his desk and he seems to like have a headset like he takes calls. Right. So maybe he works at a call center. Um, but he, yeah, he is the breadwinner and lets Scott live in his tiny apartment with him, but they the are too bed. poor to afford two beds. So they have to sleep in the same bed together. And also their apartment is just a single studio room. So it, they basically are constantly together when they are at home because, uh, they're just, as they say, too poor to afford separate beds. Again, so this is the point where we get into the movie. We're going to go over the movie a little bit just to kind of cover our bases. Um, but uh, we'll we'll kind of backtrack and cover the differences because uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the movie because, again, it's a good movie. So if you... It's a fun watch, you should, for sure. You should definitely see it if you haven't already. But uh, we'll give you the the highlights. Uh -huh, yeah, you can, you know, check your streaming services or piracy. Ethan, don't you can't say condone. that. Don't pirate this podcast. Would you, would I don't you know download you a pizza? That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I would you wouldn't download, download a pizza. I would, would download a pizza. I'd put it in <laughs> my tummy. That sounds like the most amazing thing. So we're at the beginning of the story for real now. And Scott Pilgrim is dating a high schooler. Yeah. At the age of like, like 24. Uh, so in this is a, a fun difference from the movie. Uh, in the movie, he is 22, mm. 22. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually in the books, he was 23 going on to 24. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they changed the age to make it a little, little less, less weird. creepy, um, but it's, <laughs> supposed, it's supposed to be weird. Yeah. So it's not supposed to be a good thing. Once yeah. Again. again, so Scott is a couple years out of university now. Uh, he is 23 years old. Uh, he doesn't really remember university all that well. And we kind of pick up where he is trying to leave his depressive funk um, and he is trying to do so by dating 17 year old knives chow who's chinese oh and she goes to catholic school like with the uniform and everything uh-huh i'm just gonna quote stuff yeah bunch. no yes. i mean for, she's, for the she's dear listener cj has seen this movie so many times he's just going to quote the entire thing while explaining it yeah that's that's fine but no, I mean, that makes sense. It's like anyone who goes to Catholic school would kind of be used to predation. And so. Right. <laughs> so it's uh, I mean, that is why those exist to, I would say, prime or maybe there's another word you could use I, to get the children ready. That is this is a little much. <laughs> I, I don't know what word I would use necessarily, but something oh, like that. Goodness. Oh, OK. Um. So the reason like, he's doing this is because he is he seeks a simple relationship, A, because he's lazy, uh, but B, because he feels his last relationship was so 
kind of rocky and tumultuous that he just wants something simple to try and get over his ex because he's still very much working through that. Right. So and I dating mean, a minor. Yeah. He's, he's working through that in a, in a bad way. It's not a good, You're right. yeah. yeah. Once again, I mean, not supposed to be likable. It's, <laughs> it's not just like a simple relationship either. It's a relationship where he has more of the power in the, yeah. Well, and he must have it's to make himself feel better. Right. Because he, so in his relationship with Kim, I mean, no one really broke up with anybody. So he, he didn't, that didn't really hit his ego too bad, but Envy breaking up with him really like upset him to the point of he's basically doing a relationship on crutches so that he can, he can wean his way back into it at his own pace, I guess. He's rebounding at a very like accessible level. For yeah. Him. And so like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to know Scott is our protagonist and you are supposed to like him. Um, but you're also supposed to recognize all of his many flaws. Um, and he is. He's definitely a flawed protagonist. Yeah. And he like he's very selfish, but he's not doing it vindictively. He just really doesn't think about others a lot. Um, he's not particularly smart in general. Uh, and, you know, he he's not doing things to be mean. Most of the time he's just doing things thoughtlessly. Um, and so this is one of those things where he's not really thinking of the ramifications, but he is going to start dating a uh -huh. high schooler. So you would say he maybe needs to go on some kind of hero's journey oh. to grow and become a better person. I might say that, Ethan, <laughs> if I was some sort of scholar. <laughs> and that's why you pay attention in your high school English classes, people, is that you learn to do literary analysis and mm -hmm. not always feel like you have to like the protagonist or understand that protagonists have flaws. That's true. Pay attention. Um, and that's... <laughs> And that's like a big thing. Like if I had to encourage you to like read the books over the movie, like that's a big thing is there's a lot more about this like growth and development that Scott has. It's not just left on kind of a throwaway like in the movie because the movie has to end in an hour and a half where he's just like and then he's better now because the movie's over. Like there's a lot more uh, of like actual visual growth that he goes yeah. through. But we'll talk about that. We have uh, some of the old characters have come back. Uh, Kim Pine has moved to Toronto after uh, after university, and she is now the drummer again for a band Scott is in with Stephen Stills, and the three of them are called Sex Bob-omb. Uh, they make music that... There's a lot of debate on the internet whether, <laughs> whether or not their band is good. Um, if you listen to the movie soundtrack, like obviously the songs from the movie are good because they were made um, by like actual musicians. Yeah. Um, fun fact, Michael Sarah actually does play the bass and he's actually really good at it. And so in the movie, he had to pretend like he was worse at the bass than he actually is because it's actually <laughs> mm -hmm. really good. Yeah. I mean, the way, the way it always came across to me was that. Steven is legitimately good, but he's not confident. Mm -hmm. uh, and Scott is actually pretty good, but he's not motivated to practice. Yeah, he doesn't and, get better. You know, so like they, their previous band that they make wasn't carried just by Envy. It's like they do have some talent there. True. Yeah. And I, I think that's that sentiment kind of gets carried over. Um, also, I think it's important to note that 
generally speaking throughout the story, we're going to try and not get caught up in like what is or isn't because not only is some of the things kind of left ambiguous on purpose, as we will say, but like this world does have that magical realism I mentioned, and it's kind of left to you as the reader to interpret what you think is real and what you think is kind of imagined between these characters um, because it's a story and stories are fun. So don't think about it too much. You know, we're just here to tell you what we know and then you get to decide mm -hmm. how you feel about it. Interpreting you, text. Yeah. Or you could think about it an awful lot and just like, That's com what I yeah, did. completely break down the text. Yeah, I like that. But I came to the best conclusions, so I'll just tell you those. <laughs> okay, that works. So, um, everyone in Sex bob is ragging on Scott for dating a high schooler, as is well-deserved. Well-deserved. And uh, we also are introduced to young Neil, uh, who is Sex bob biggest fan. Uh, he is younger than all of them, as the name implies, and he's... Not dreadfully important, so we're not going to talk about him too much. Um, but I do like young Neil, and he has his own little like growth that he's going through. It's implied that he's going through a similar growth as Scott, but since he's younger, he's kind of doing it after Scott is. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of used as a barometer of how Scott is growing okay. based on how he's acting yeah. because he is kind of Scott, but like a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so he'll come up every once in a while, but really just to kind of be a backdrop to show us what's going on with Scott. Uh-huh. You could say he's a foil or a <gasps> deuteragonist or other fancy literature words. I would not call him a deuteragonist. <laughs> would, yeah, deuteragonist. <laughs> Mostly because that's just a silly word and I just wouldn't use it. I wouldn't use it, Ethan. We're, we're fancy literature boys now, CJ. So one day Scott <laughs> is taking a snooze because uh, he sleeps till basically noon every day. Imagine. Nice uh, life. But uh, a girl is roller skating through his dreams. He's having his loneliness dream because, again, he's still very he's got depression. He's got the depression. He's he's he he's exists in this place called the Lonely Desert, which is a place that shows up in his dreams a lot. Um, but. Uh, this girl slides on through his dreams and he's like, that's weird. I've never seen that girl before. I like the way she looks, but that's kind of where it ends for now. Uh, until one day when he goes to a party and he sees that girl IRL and says, she's the girl of my dreams, which he's using in a literal sense mm -hmm. in this particular instance. Um, but this is none other than Ramona Flowers, our main deuteragonist <laughs> you could say that she is a metaphor for the synonym of capitalism you could say what? that if you wanted to um that is a I take wish, i have not heard i wish that i had some fancy glasses <laughs> on right now that i could adjust as i'm speaking you so can borrow Ra mine if you ramona need is a manic pixie dream girl obviously uh, and Scott is immediately smitten by her and tries to impress her. And through his usual kind of Scott bumbling, he endears her to him and he endears him to her. In any case, he eventually gets to the point where uh, he goes on a little bit of a date with Ramona and she kind of likes him too because... Um, this is another thing that happens a lot in the books, um, and I think it's very cool, and you get to see it a lot play out in the books, but there's this 
there's these like layered they, they they like layer a lot of the same themes over every character. Um and so we learned that Ramona was also in a pretty uh intense relationship and so she starts dating Scott because she thinks that it would be a simple relationship that would be a lot easier to maintain and that mm-hmm. she would have a lot of the power over him because he would just do whatever she wants and to do. And he's just a sweet bumbling nerd boy. Right. Um, and so we get a lot of these like parallels, like a lot of these characters play the alternate role in the scenarios that they've already done, uh, which is a really cool thing. It's like a, a very interesting thing. So Ramona is endeared by sort of Scott's simple nature as he is, again, kind of an idiot. Um, but the two of them start dating. But uh oh, Scott never broke up with Knives Chow. Yep. Oh. So he's now dating two girls at once. And they don't know about each other. They don't. <laughs> that's that's the part that makes it not okay. And also, Knives is a high schooler. Yeah. Well. Also that part. <laughs> so Scott has to go through his whole turmoil of basically breaking up with Knives, which again, he's never really broken up with a girl from his perspective. They, mm-hmm. His last relationships just kind of fizzle out. Um, so that's hard for him. Um, but Ramona lays on as well that well if they're going to be together he is going to have to defeat all seven of her evil exes and this is where the magical realism really starts to kick off uh because at this point uh it becomes full video game style there are seven bosses that scott must defeat in order to become ramona's boyfriend just like uh, that's the realist part though Whenever (laughs) you get a serious girlfriend, you will have to defeat every one of her exes. Yeah, that's why it's best to date nerd girls. In a metaphorical, literal sense. Yeah, in a literal sense. (laughs) That's why it's good to date girl girl nerds, because all of their ex-boyfriends are a bunch of weak little boy nerds. (laughs) Ah! And there's usually not that many of them. Uh Uh-huh. It's... Until you get one that unfortunately has a free previous Scott Pilgrim boyfriend. All right, yeah. I'm going to try and name <laughs> all seven of them without looking at my notes. Okay. All right. There's Matthew Patel. Yep. First there's one. There's Lucas Lee. Yep. Todd Ingram. There is. Who's after? Oh, there's Roxy Richter. Yep. There's the Katianagi twins. And then there's Gideon Graves. All right. There it is. Good job. Thank you. Um, twins at the same time. Yeah. So, God, so each, hot. each of the books is focused around <laughs> Scott defeating like one of the evil exes. Pretty sure um, there are indeed seven volumes. There's six volumes. Oh, but in one of them, he's fighting mm-hmm. the twins. Oh, okay. Yes. yes. So that's why there are six books and not seven. Got it. Um, Brian Lee O'Malley as a person who loves video games and presumably the numerology in video <laughs> games, you'll see a lot of themes of seven and three, especially because those are big themes in Legend of Zelda games. Mm-hmm. In Link to the Past, you have to fight seven bosses before you can beat Ganon, or you have to collect seven pieces of the Triforce, or you have to collect three things in order to unlock something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of theming in that as well. Three they is do- a magic number. I could talk like all day about all the different themings, especially in the movie that they did, because Brian the O'Malley was a consultant on set on the movie, which is one of the reasons it is Good. so closely. I, I think yeah. that's literally what we're here for. Well, 
What I want to talk <laughs> less about the movie and more about the differences between the yeah, movie yeah. and the books. And how the books help support what happens. So, so Scott goes through and defeats these seven exes. Um, the first, Matthew Patel, is an Indian heritage boy. Uh-huh. Uh, he has the magical abilities to fly, shoot fireballs, and summon a backing crew of manic he, pixie chicks to has, fight with him. He has Wonderful. Bollywood powers. Yeah, it's, it's great. very good. Um, <laughs> and he's sort of our, like, he breaks the mold of what you, like, you expect this to be kind of like a a, a millennial love drama story, and then all of a sudden it turns into, like, a fighting boss's story, and he just, like, absolutely breaks the... Like it changes in tone immediately when he starts <laughs> fighting him. And then that's when we kind of get the tone for the rest of the movie. The second evil Alex Lucas Lee is a skater boy. Who turns into Captain America. Yeah. Well, he is Captain America <laughs> in the movie. Um, but he isn't he turns into an actor as he grows up. Uh, and so he's just very cool. Uh, that's his power. Uh Todd Ingram is a Well, he's also a good skateboarder. He's a pretty good skateboarder. Yeah. Uh, Todd Ingram is a vegan psychic. Uh, we will learn that being vegan gives you psychic powers. Uh, I just did. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Todd later because I think Todd's one of the more important exes. Um, sure, yeah. Then there's Roxy Richter, who is a woman. And a ninja. And a ninja. Yeah. Two things. <laughs> Amazing. Also Katara from Avatar The Last Airbender. Also, she played with Michael Sarah in Arrested Development as Michael Sarah's girlfriend on and off again from Arrested Development. Very cute. It is. We have the Katyanagi twins who are uh, famous musicians and also genius roboticists. (laughs) I forgot about that. And then finally, there's Gideon Graves, who is the final boss and the the ringleader of all of the seven X's. He's very rich. He owns a record label. um, And his identity is unknown until the very end of the series. The movie basically follows Scott going through and fighting all of the evil X's and winning Ramona's heart, et cetera, et cetera. a, a he does crit- break up with Knives Chow at some point. He does. So let's let's talk about the differences that they don't have in the movie that they do have in the books. Um, first of all, uh, they go back into Ramona's history with each of the exes a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Matthew Patel, the first evil ex, they basically dated for like two weeks in middle school. And he still got included as one of the evil exes. They make jokes in the book that they're like, uh, yeah, he just kind of showed up and it was like <laughs> right. still really into Ramona, even though it's been like eight years <laughs> and they were like kids when they dated and it was for like two weeks. Um, there is a there's a really good joke where uh, Todd uses his mm-hmm. vegan psychic powers to punch a hole in the moon for Ramona. Yep. Um, but if you notice, the moon has two holes in it. Uh, and as we learn, Todd and Envy were also dating during high school or, well, yeah, during high school. Um, and then after college as well. Mm -hmm. And when Todd got his vegan powers, he also punched a hole in the moon for Envy. And when Ramona reveals this to Envy, she's like, didn't you ever wonder why there were two holes in the moon? And she was like. (laughs) No. <laughs> uh, I wish that Siley was here right now 
because I immediately wanted to say when we were talking earlier, just like Indian boyfriends do be like that. Though. <laughs> Fantastic. That is a thing that she would have gone off about. <laughs> um. So one of the biggest deviations from the, the movie, I guess the, from the books. Yeah. One of the biggest deviations that are from the books um, is that there is a pretty lengthy segment about Lisa Miller returning into Scott's life. If you recall, they went oh, to yeah, high yeah. school together. Um, around uh, the third and fourth evil exes, which are the third and fourth books, um, Lisa Miller returns to town. She has grown up to be a a middling actress. Um, she is the she is in a soap opera, a Canadian soap opera, and um, she starts to integrate into the rest of the friend group. Um, so again, we have so it's an entire character that's just not right. The that was cut. They mm-hmm. they make For a time. mention to it in the movie when Julie is listing off all of the uh, exes that Scott had, mm-hmm. and she was like, "What about?" that time with Lisa and he was like well that was nothing and he's like Mm -hmm. that time with the other one who is another character from the book who isn't in the movie and they didn't actually date in the book either but Mm -hmm. Brian Lee O'Malley just wanted to reference them from the from the books um so they they mention her by name once in the movie as a as a little uh easter egg basically um but when she comes back she she starts to show us some important things that we have missed in the narrative. Um, because as we go through the books, everyone keeps telling Scott things that he just kind of disagrees with and that the books have so far not shown us at all. Um, like when Julie calls Scott a lady killer and he's like, ah, that's not really who I am. And then she lists off all of his exes and he was like, well, that wasn't really any big things. <laughs> and then Lisa comes back to town and talks about uh, like all of the times that they had when they were younger. And he just like, doesn't remember any of these things. Um, Lisa goes on to integrate in the rest of the friend group. There's Scott and Steven and Kim. There's also young Neil and uh, they collect another few people who come and go. Wallace will hang out with them a little bit, but he seems like he's got his own friend group. So you get this, like, it's a really genuine, like, it feels really genuine in how Brian set up the, like, his characters. Right. It really feels like a bunch of millennials right after <laughs> university. Yeah. And they'll, like, hang out with each other. And then, like, mm-hmm. they go to a particular bar for a while and just, like, do that regularly regularly for a bit. Um, and then just stop doing it eventually. So he has all these like little tiny details that are like, yeah, that's kind of what it feels like to be in your early 20s. When when did these books first come out again? Uh, Yeah, 2004. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is what millennial uh, friend hanging out used to be like before what the economy collapsed. Yeah. A couple of times. Yeah. You know. Um, well, yeah. When it was like you could still be very poor, but still like have a place to live and stuff to eat. <laughs> And so, yeah, it like it like feels really genuine. As we learn, uh, Lisa had a bit of a thing for Scott and still kind of does, maybe. Oh, uh, this is where we're introduced to, to the idea that while Ramona has her evil exes, Scott, too, has his what I mean, people call them Scott's evil ex-girlfriends, which really is a little evil. weird. Um, 
But the idea is they're setting up of like everyone kind of vilifies their exes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while Ramona has seven evil exes, Scott has three um, being Kim Pine, Lisa Miller and Envy Adams. Adams. Uh, other people will say that Knives is an evil ex, which kind of, yeah. Does Knives I mean, show up as much in the comics as the probably more. shows up more. More really? for sure. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a whole thing that they skip out in the series where Knives' dad is like, you are yeah. dating an older man and you are in high school? I will destroy him. That's, ah, that's, that's incorrect, right, I remember. Ethan. Okay, it um, was... He says, you're dating a white boy? I will uh, destroy him. Ah. That was it. Um, it's been a little bit. I do yeah. vaguely remember <laughs> Knives' dad. Yeah, so uh, Lisa Miller shows up, and then she starts to kind of drive a wedge between Scott and Ramona. Um, in the movie, this correlates to the part where Roxy shows up and is driving a wedge between them. It's the same kind of area in the book, but... They couldn't introduce a whole new character. Right. So instead of Roxy driving the wedge as much, she still does in the books, but Lisa is also kind of driving a wedge. And she's not necessarily trying to steal Scott away or anything, but she just has feelings for him and then eventually admits that. But in the end, Scott rebuffs her advances and says that he wants to be with Ramona. Making choices. And Amazing. They they do not sleep together and they do this thing where she uh, Lisa basically propositions him and then Scott kind of passes out and then he wakes up the next day and he's like, what happened? Did I cheat on Ramona? And Lisa has to like tell him the events of the night that they uh, that that didn't happen and that he said he wanted to be with Ramona and then they ordered pizza and ate so much pizza they passed out. But we get this idea that, like, the book is following Scott's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that's happening to him is happening, like, through his own perception of it. And we are, like, looking at his perception, which you can pick up on because, like, you know, as, as Fran said, there's little text boxes that introduce everybody. Um, Scott, like, all of them are very biased towards, like, Scott's opinion of that person. Yeah. Like, he rates himself 10 out of 10 when he <laughs> introduces himself. Um, and he like, you know, he, he really vilifies envy as this like crazy evil person when in reality, it's probably not so much that, um, envy is also a good example of a departure from the books in the movie, if only cause they didn't have enough time to like showcase her as much. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, uh, she kind of has her own arc. She definitely wants the spotlight she wants to be a singer star Mm -hmm. um but she has a lot of her own things that she's working through um and it's revealed that scott's memory of the past is not very good uh because as she points out uh when they broke up she didn't just break up with him scott got really drunk and got in an argument with her and then after the argument they broke up and um that's very weird because Scott's like, I don't drink really. And so again, we get this idea that he like will say things that aren't true and he gets confused why other people are saying things that are true. Um, but but from perspective. our perspective, it looks like they're lying because we are seeing the world from Scott's perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm assuming that's paralleled in the movie when him and Ramona have like a pseudo fight then. 
when um, Roxy shows a up. Yeah, they don't do. And then she's like, I thought you didn't drink. And he says. Right. Yeah. yeah. That that was a reference to that. Yeah. And they, you know, there there just isn't enough time in the in the book to like do this whole like fake out past thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the movie too, like as a theme, it uh, it really shows this like I- idea of contrast between like growing up by selling out and growing up by doing it the right way, you know, right. That they don't, they don't do that same exact thing in the book. And so it makes sense for envy to be more of a like irredeemable character in the movie because she is just representative of part of the sellout culture. Right. Let's talk about some of the deep lore of the books that we don't get in the movie. Hell yeah. Uh, and these these are things that are not just differences between the book and movie, but are like completely either not present in the movie or just like unexplained in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's there's all this magical stuff that happens, like uh, the big hammer coming out of Ramona's purse. <laughs> right. So subspace is a reality that is intertwined with our reality, but also its own separate space. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, there's a lot of digital ink about how, what it is and like what the mechanics are. And people will be like, these are the rules to the subspace world. And it's just, it's a narrative thing. They, it represents (laughs) like a magical dimension space, like the warp zones in video games, you know, video games. And yes, Ramona also has a hammer space uh, that is in her purse that is connected to subspace. It's just like all women's purses. True. The black hole in there, <laughs> truly. Subspace is 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 like a really cool thing. Again, it, it kind of like intersects with a bunch of people's like perception, I guess. It exists as like a real space you can travel through. Like Ramona uses it as a shortcut to get places. Um, and it also is like where you go when you dream or where your memories are. Mm. Um, and so there is a lot more in the books about like subspace existing, sometimes doors to subspace just appear. It seems to be one of those things that once you are savvy to it, you start to see it around more. For instance, like Scott and the rest of his friends have never heard of it before. Uh, there's a line in the movie where Ramona go where I, I was really confused by this, but in the movie, they Ramona's like, yeah, oh, there's this like subspace route that goes through your head. So I like to use that. Um, and Scott's like, what is that? And Ramona's like, oh, I forgot you don't have that here. I thought she meant sarcasm. Like, I thought she was, <laughs> I thought she was like, oh, I forgot. Canadians don't use sarcasm here. It's implied that she's from America. Right. She is from America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, she's talking about subspace. I guess they just don't use subspace in Canada. Uh, <laughs> they got free healthcare. They don't need. They yeah. Don't need subspace. I guess not. Um, but yeah, once, once she starts to like show Scott with like, once she starts to take Scott through the subspace with her, he starts to notice it more to the point of eventually he's able to like find doors and use them without Ramona. Um, and so that part in the movie where they a door shows up (laughs) right and this happens a couple times like what Ethan said when he's fighting Mr. Chow um, he goes through a door and the door ends up coming out of Ramona's purse because again it's all kind of connected through the subspace Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that is 
that's this sort of like mind space area that has some ambiguous rules that we're going to talk about having some other mechanics right now. Uh, another thing that just doesn't show up in the movie at all that's a very important part of the books is the glow. I don't remember that part. Neither did me or Lizzie no. when we both started <laughs> the glow? doing this. So in the, um, in the comics, there are times when like either there's a big emotional impact or mm. the characters have a big realization. I do vaguely remember And then their head now. just starts glowing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because in the context of a comic book, it just looks like a shocked, like, you know, kind of like <laughs> right, a halo right, behind yeah. your head yeah. to, to indicate like a shocked face. Um, but canonically, their head is actually glowing. Right, yeah, it's fourth wall nonsense. Yeah. That shit CJ loves. I do. <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, the glow is an actual mechanic within the world. Uh, it exists, and as we learn, it was invented by Gideon in order to mentally manipulate people. For you see... Gideon is not only rich and cool and owns a company, but he also is a master of subspace and has yeah. invented the glow, which is where Ramona learned how to use subspace from Gideon. Oh. So Gideon uses the glow as, and narratively the glow is used as the idea of like being in your own head. Um, it shows up when you have a lot of self-doubt or when you kind of feel foolish because you like in Ramona's case, sometimes she will trust Scott and then will be betrayed. And then she feels bad and then she blames herself and her head starts to glow. Mm -hmm. um, eventually the glow infects Scott as well as he starts to think of himself as a bad person for doing bad things. And it gets in his own head. Um, we learned that Gideon invented the glow in order to like control people better mm. um, because it basically makes you put yourself down and then you become more uh, susceptible to just being told what to do. So he made the embodiment of like a toxic relationship yeah. as a glow. <laughs> yeah. Great. So. So yeah, he is he's an actual evil ex. Though. Yeah, we're yeah, we're going to talk about Gideon more. <laughs> um but that also leads us to a second thing that is a little bit in the movie but not touched on a lot, but the idea of Nega Scott. Mm. Uh whenever Scott starts to feel bad about himself in the books, uh oftentimes he'll see his reflection and he will see a dark reflection of his own form. Like Dark Link as Nega just Scott. Just like in Zelda. That's right, Ethan. Yeah. It is just like in Zelda. Why are we all whispering? <laughs> Dark Link. So Nega Scott is a, he is the embodiment of all of Scott's negative personality traits. But as we start to figure out, it's less about his negative personality traits and it's more about the parts of Scott that he doesn't like about himself. Oh, is that why he starts, that's that why his memories are so bad? That's because right. Nega because Scott whenever, has all of them? whenever he has a bad memory, he basically puts it into Nega Scott. So Scott's able to use Nega Scott to kind of get around the glow because whenever he feels bad, he basically compartmentalizes it, it into <laughs> Nega Scott. And so the glow doesn't hinder him too much, but it's also a huge weakness around him because he like he doesn't remember his mistakes. So he never learns from his mistakes because he, he's, ignores, he them. Just ignores them. 
like he doesn't like to feel bad. So he puts all the bad feelings away and then he puts himself into more situations where he feels bad. And that's why Nega Scott exists. And we learned that again, because we're seeing this from, from Scott's perspective, Nega Scott is framed as like negative Scott, like an evil Scott, but it's actually just the parts of Scott he doesn't like. So he ignores them and he pushes them away. And perhaps Nega Scott is not even really like a bad thing. It just is part of him that he rejects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is, again, like those things are in the movie. Nega Scott's in the movie and they do a little joke with him. Um, but the development with him is more towards the ends of the books. And fun fact, when the movie was made, um, the fifth book was still in production while the movie was being made. And the sixth book hadn't even come out yet. So the actual mm-hmm. story didn't have an ending yet. Um, the ending of the movie was, you know, kind of greenlit by Brian because mm-hmm. he was on set. Um, but he hadn't like finished his like full story yet. So mm-hmm. he didn't really know what to do with a lot of that stuff. Um, but he ended up doing a lot more with Nega Scott than had a, I think he just kind of liked that idea, uh, which is neat because it is a neat idea. Um, so the the main divergence are happening like towards the the fifth and sixth books where we're at. Um, again, I said the Katianagi twins are roboticists, expert roboticists. That never comes up in the movie, but in the <laughs> but there's sweet DJs, in yeah, the movie, in which the is fifth also book, cool. Scott is constantly being accosted by a bunch of just robots, like progressively <laughs> stronger robots that he has to beat up, and it's like driving his friends away. Again, another like. A, a very like realistic thing that's happening is their friend group starts to shatter under all of this pressure. Um, Steven wants to focus on the band more. Uh, he meets a guy named Joseph who is like a sound guy. Like he has a lot of sound equipment. Right. And Steven's really interested in the sound stuff and like wants to sound really good for his band. So he starts hanging out with Joseph all the time. Uh, young Neil starts to become a dick and everyone just kind of stops liking hanging out with him and they all say oh well you're still young you'll grow out of it um he dated knives for a while that part was in the movie um knives was just doing it to make scott jealous and young neil was doing it because he probably just liked knives and Uh they're more appropriately aged right he Um, is young neil exactly He's still 17, though. But, um, yeah, but maybe if he, 18 at that point. Right. But I was, if he's like 18, too, it's yeah. like, that's that whatever. <laughs> um, he was, uh, the two of them broke up, which again just kind of drove the, the group apart even more. I think young Neil starts dating either one of Knives' friends or just another Chinese girl <laughs> to try and get Knives to be jealous. Again, this idea of like, you know, these these patterns are repeating. Hurt yeah. People hurt people. Whoa. That's right, <laughs> Ethan. What eventually happens with the twins, though, is after they're done sending all these robots at Scott, they kidnap Kim. And then we get the same thing that happened in the opening. Parallel. Where Scott has to go save Kim from the twins. And he does so. But this time, when he's fighting, he's losing against the twins' big robot. And Kim encourages him to fight harder because she said that she got a text from Ramona saying that she believes in him. And he uses that (laughs) as like, as like power to 
to win the fight, but uh-huh. in reality, she did not receive a that, text like yeah. that. That works on me also. <laughs> so we we kind of get this closure with Kim then of like, because Kim also kind of likes Scott still, and they never really got good closure. But the big, the big thing that happens about this is Scott was like, yeah, this is crazy. It was just like that the time in high school. Um, and she was like, it was nothing like that, Scott. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then she goes back to the opening story that we talked about. But this time it shows her boyfriend in high school. And we learned that she also was dating her boyfriend in high school. And then she moved away to Scott's school. And then their mm. relationship started to fizzle out. And then Scott basically just went to his high school and beat up her old boyfriend because he wanted to date her. And then he and then that happened. And so we see now that Scott's memories are all kind of wrong. He paints himself as the hero. And we also see that the way that Scott saw Kim's ex-boyfriend and the way Kim described her ex-boyfriend are like completely different. They're like different people. Right. Yeah. It's the it's the whole thing. Like it's it's not just that like Scott isn't remembering things, but he like falsely justifies them in his head. Right. Yeah. He justifies his there's, actions. There's the whole, you know, it's the whole idea of like, you know, he's he doesn't he doesn't just go like beat this boyfriend up directly so that he can steal his girlfriend in his mind. He's like, well, them still having a long distance relationship is holding King down. So it is as if she is being held captive. Sort of Gideon has many powers. Like he's a master of the subspace and being a master of the subspace allows him to enters people's subconscious mind and see their backstories through their own memories, which he did to Scott in order to gain more information to fight him for Ramona's love. Okay. Through this, he also, I guess, decided to mess around with a bunch of Scott's memories. Great. So the reason he sees Kim's ex-boyfriend as just a different guy is because he basically inserted himself as Kim's ex-boyfriend and then made this memory of them fighting epically over Kim when in fact that just didn't happen at all. Oh. So part of it is him misremembering, but also Gideon has the power of mental manipulation. Convenient. There's a lot of cool superpowers that happen. For instance, I mentioned that Todd is a psychic because he's a vegan. And uh, when asked why being vegan gives you psychic power, it says because his mind isn't filled with curds and whey. And then Kim's like, oh, yeah, did you learn that at Vegan Academy? So he actually did learn that at Vegan Academy. (laughs) He goes to Vegan Academy (laughs) to Mm -hmm. learn to be a vegan and psychic. Um, But what we also learn is you don't have to be a vegan to be psychic. Uh, One day Wallace shows up and he comes in from the rain and he uses his chi energy to dry himself from the rain. And Scott's like, oh, that's crazy. How'd you do that? And he's like, oh, I have a new boyfriend. His name's Mobile. He is a psychic and he's like, your boyfriend's a vegan. He's like, no, he's psychic for his own reasons. So <laughs> apparently you can just be psychic for your own reasons. Uh-huh, I, yeah, I, I assume there's this whole thing around the vegans trying to like create this vegan world order and like indoctrinating people into thinking you have to be vegan to be psychic. And 
there's a bunch of fan theories you could get into there, but we only do canon here. Uh-huh. I mean, that's also, that's a bunch of Akira reference stuff. That's yeah. Whole different ballpark. Um, but Gideon is, so Gideon's motivations to all this are he wants to collect Ramona. And now we're going to get to the part where we kind of describe this whole thing, like all the themes wrapping around onto each other. Um, Earlier, I said that Todd is one of the more important exes because in a lot of way, Todd represents what Scott is and what Scott isn't. Mm. Um, I mean, a lot of their like parallels are pretty. This one you actually would call a foil. Yeah. Well, (laughs) a lot of their parallels are very obvious. Like they're both the bass player in their band. In Mm -hmm. Envy's band. Um, the, The like visual the visuals they set up are like Todd has his big three on his t-shirt because he's the three third evil X and Scott has a big zero on his t-shirt because he is like the zeroth X of envy. Like he just doesn't matter. Um, but they are, they're shown to be similar in like a lot of ways. They're both pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> they're both like kind of lazy, like Todd's supposed to be a vegan, but he really just doesn't care about the rules that much. So he just, isn't a vegan really <laughs> and that's why the vegan police show and that's up. why the vegan police take away his vegan powers um but another thing that's very similar is that uh todd is also a cheater and he cheats on envy with their drummer who mm-hmm. is a cyborg which we don't really have time <laughs> to get into that whole thing but in i mean you got it she's in, a cyborg in the clash at demon head there it's also a three-piece band and the drummer is a cyborg girl who cheats on uh, well, he cheats with Todd. Uh-huh. Um, and so we kind of see Todd as this, he's supposed to be one of the evil exes, but he's the most similar to Scott of any of them. Mm-hmm. And so we realize that Scott is already like dangerously close to being an evil ex. Then we have Gideon, who is, I guess, like an extreme example of what Todd or of what Scott could be if he kind of follows down this path he's on. Gideon's whole modus operandi is he wants to control everything. Um, But specifically, he wants complete control over all of his exes. In the same way that Ramona has her seven evil exes, Gideon also has his seven evil exes. Oh! But what Gideon decided is he wants to control all of them forever. And what's revealed That's in gross. the last book is that he has a bunch of cryopods. He has seven of them, one for each of his exes. And he's been collecting his ex-girlfriends and putting them in there to store them. So he's trying to collect Ramona to store her in a cryogenic Ramona chamber. is the seventh of his exes that he wants to finish his collection. That is messed up. Well, and he's <laughs> straight said, up. I mean, a lot of so a lot of what he does is like it's not even about like the sexual stuff, but he's like. He's like, I like dressing up my girls in different outfits and then having them like perform on stage. Like he just uh, likes owning them yeah, like a yeah. doll. It's a total power. Objectifying, yeah. 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 He, yeah. Likes, he likes to the, own them and like yep. put them on stage for others to see and then be like, that's my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So that's that's his whole like, Yuck. that's like why he's doing all of this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We also learned that the whole Seven Evil X thing was... He got really drunk one night and went and posted a Craigslist ad looking for any of Ramona's <laughs> evil exes, and apparently they all responded to the Craigslist. It was ad. it was uh, pre two thousand eight. It was a different time. Yeah, it's very good. Um, 
And so we, so, you know, we as the audience now know that this story is told from Scott's perspective, but that there's all this meddling from Gideon as this like evil specter of what Scott could be and has been like implanting all of these ideas in his mind that he's the good guy. Cause that's how Gideon sees himself. Also, Mm -hmm. he's like what he, you know, he thinks he's in the right that all these girls belong to him. It's, you know, it's a statement about how when you break up with a person, a lot of people still want to like control that person. They want to like, tell them that they can't date other people or that they can't move on with their lives. Right. So the, it's funny to say because the movie is so over, over the top, but the, the book is just like a more over the top version of the movie stuff. Like in the movie, he, they just kind of like bait, you know, say very basically like, Gideon broke up with me, but it was when I actually got over him that he was like that he wanted me back because right. he didn't feel like he had power over me anymore. Exactly. And, and in this one, they're like, well, we'll be a little more literal and say he wants to put her in a cryopod forever. <laughs> right. Well, and also um, Envy dates Gideon for a while as well. She signs with his label. Right. Um, but she never really has any power in their relationship and as a result he just really doesn't care that much about her um so i said envy has her own arc she eventually uh, again like overarching this is about scott growing as a person um part of that is for scott to confront his past but it's also to resolve a bunch of his unresolved issues both with himself and others um so for instance scott eventually um like talks with knives in the books and knives is like i mean i still really love you but like it's not healthy for us to be together and like it's a moment where knives kind of grows in maturity beyond scott because she was in this relationship that she wasn't ready for Mm -hmm. and um and, and like that gives her a lot of insight going forward and she's like i just need to learn to love myself right now and um, Scott is like, this is, this is between Scott and Ramona dating. Like she's kind of taken off at this point mm-hmm. and he's like trying to figure things out and he like sees this maturity and he's like, Oh, maybe you can like, if not like you can come to resolution with your exes. It doesn't have to be like, everyone's world revolves around you and like you have to figure out how to make everyone still like you even when you're broken up it's just you know realizing that you had a relationship it's over it's time to move on and we can still like both be adult about it Mm -hmm. uh similarly scott has to i mean again scott confronts lisa miller from his past and gets conclusion there as both in her being like well i did like you and still do like you and scott never i guess realizing that and then having to having to come to terms with like well should i do i have feelings for this girl that i never really thought about i had feelings for um and then similarly for kim when he saves kim from the twins and then she describes all this stuff from their past in a new way and she also is like, well, you never even really broke up with me, Scott. Like, 
I didn't even know you were moving away. I had to hear from Lisa that you had moved away because you wouldn't even, you didn't even tell me. And he just didn't remember that he didn't do that because he, he didn't even, because he didn't even think about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like he has to get Kim's forgiveness as well for, for doing that. And for like not even acknowledging that he did that for a long time. Yep. And then finally there's envy, which is one of the hardest ones for them to deal with. But you know, he is like, he's sad throughout the whole books that he and envy broke up pretty much. And even when he's with Ramona, it's still like haunts him. And hence why he refuses to get a haircut. Well, and, and his like biggest growth too, is when he and envy, like, finally find some closure it's also while he and Ramona are dating again so they're not like at odds with each other anymore they're finally like okay this is what I want to do going forward and Ramona kind of sees what Envy's been going through because she also dated Gideon and so she gets like what that feels like and so she kind of gets where Envy's coming from because even Envy at the end still seems like she has some feelings for Scott and that's a big part of it too is like all of these people still have feelings for each other yeah. even after their relationships. But you know, it's about being an adult and you know, getting closure on that and then uh, moving on. I don't like it. It's uh, like, <laughs> no. Being an adult. Uh. I would rather put all of my exes in cryopods. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, and so that's eventually how Scott beats Gideon is Gideon can't grow. Like he can't learn. He's super powerful, but he doesn't adapt. And eventually what Scott ends up doing is merging with Nega Scott. He gets all of his memories back, the good ones and the bad ones. And he's able to like Gideon's fucking with him for the full final fight because he's trying to get in his head, both mm -hmm. literally and figuratively. Um, and so it like enables the glow on Scott. And Scott uses that opportunity to headbutt Gideon really hard, which transfers the glow onto Gideon. <laughs> and then Gideon gets trapped in his own head and it's just wild in there. Uh, and so, and because he like never has like self inflection or introspection, mm -hmm. he like gets lost in there and loses control over Ramona. And that's when they're able to defeat him when he's undone by his own petard. Mm-hmm. That's why I never introspect. That's right, Ethan. I might get that's lost the moral, in there. That's the moral of that story. <laughs> um, and then in the end, Scott and Ramona uh, decide that they want to try it again, but to try and be more honest with themselves and with each other and to kind of start over and see if they really like each other. And then that's how the book ends. It's also how the movie ends. The movie, fun fact, had three separate endings that they filmed because, again, they didn't really know how the story was going to end. <laughs> uh, so there's an ending where there's the the canon ending where yeah. Scott and Ramona get together. Um, there's the alternate ending where uh, not where Scott. Ramona tells Scott that he was fighting for knives all along and then Scott is with knives and then there's also the third ending where Scott is the two girls are just like, we actually don't either of us really don't like you that much anymore. And then Scott is with neither of them. That one probably um, didn't do well in the screeners. There's also <laughs> a non-canon ending if you beat the Scott Pilgrim video game where uh, if you win as Scott, then both Knives and Ramona want to be your girlfriend. And then he gets two girlfriends. <laughs> 
<laughs> which I felt like bringing up for no particular reason. It's Pretty just... cool, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I just say I've perhaps found the best ending. But I, I really, I really like this series. I, it's one of my. F- I mean, it is my favorite, like graphic novel series because I don't have a lot, um, <laughs> and because Full Metal Alchemist doesn't count as that because it's a manga. And that's cheating. It has okay. it just has a lot of really good themings. Like I said, it does a really good job of like setting up these situations, but then the characters are playing out these situations from different views. And there's all this like magical stuff that happens, and everyone's just kind of like, eh, that's just kind of happens sometimes. Which is just fun. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a it's a really fun world. Mm-hmm. Um the oh. fun world where you can learn about yourself and grow. Also, does all that like you know, metaphorical you grow and learn stuff is good. But other important difference from the book to the movie is that Steven Stills is gay in the end. Yeah. As, so at the end of at the end, uh, Joseph, the sound guy that he hangs out with, it turns out that uh, well, Joseph's always was gay. Yeah. Uh, but then he finds out that Stephen and Joseph started dating because Stephen found out that he's gay too. Mm-hmm. So the two of them uh, are dating, and like towards the end of the book. Uh, towards the end of all the books, Scott like gets back into a depression because Ramona broke up with him. Mm-hmm. And so there's another like time lapse in the middle of the books where like stuff is happening. And then like Scott's just been living in this apartment that his apparent that his parents were paying for. And he like starts to dissociate a lot. He doesn't realize how like long time is. And he like kind of comes back out into the world. He had a job for a while, but then he just quit and stopped working because he got very sad um wouldn't know anything about that yeah and so he and then eventually he goes back out and he meets with all his friends and they're like dang scott you've been away for a while huh he's been it's only been like a week or two and they're like it's been months (laughs) um but when he goes out like everything is different like uh julie is really mad at steven and he doesn't know why and then he meets with steven and it turns out steven's gay now and is with joseph and young Neil is also like super like a dick and angsty now. Um, and so it's this weird like it's a very anime thing to have a time lapse in the middle of your anime. But normally at the end of it, like everyone's more powerful and has new moves. But in this one, everyone's just doing different things and is either worse off or just like, a, or like more angry gay. or more gay or all of it. <laughs> Like Wallace and his his boyfriend are, I guess, very serious at the end of it. And he's like, you're living with your boyfriend. He's like, yeah, uh, he's psychic. Um, So, yeah, there's like there's a bunch of like small details. Again, I could go on forever describing all of them, but I really like it. I give this series a really cool out of nice. Okay, and we won't do that again because that's. This uh, is not a review channel. No, it's not. But uh, let us know if you liked us talking about things we like instead of talking about things we don't like. Because I like the things I like, but uh-huh. I can understand how it's more funny to listen to me hate about stuff. <laughs> we can. Uh, we'll try to adjust a little more towards the middle. Yeah, I. Uh, so at least one of us will like something. And then ideally it would be something that like Ethan likes that I hate because (laughs) people, people get mad when Fran likes a thing and then I hate on it. And they're like, you should let Fran like things. And I'm like, well, but if Ethan likes something and I hated on it, you wouldn't say that you'd be like, (laughs) like when the white men fight. 
Yeah. I mean, no, it's funny when the white we men definitely, fight. We definitely need one of those. And then I think our, our sweet spot is the stuff that we like, but can also objectively agree is bad. Right. <laughs> like World fine. of Warcraft lore. But we're not getting into that. Well, that's too much, <laughs> We're not going to do that one. So obviously I'm a bit biased on this one uh, as a depressed boy who doesn't remember much about their college years for the same reason. Mm -hmm. I relate to this character. Have you absorbed Nega CJ yet? I have not. (laughs) (laughs) That was honest. Fair. I I, and so I feel like you've absorbed parts of him. And so I talk mm-hmm. this up a lot, but I think this is a very good story made mm-hmm. by a very skilled storyteller. Mm-hmm. So definitely check this one out. And hey, check out more of us. That's right. I tricked you, Ethan. We're at the end of the episode. What? That's right. Amazing. We are cooking with spices. This is our channel. This is our podcast. Check out our other stuff. Ethan and I just released a little mini sode last last week it was only kind of mini we're it's gonna we're be not good at mini it's gonna be mini even minier next I, time 20 minutes swear to god next time <laughs> uh but hopefully we can do a little bit more of that that was just a chill more you lore lore you more where we just talk about some of the most recent stuff that happens if you some like of that the lore that is more if you like that more laid back energy where we just talk about things going on right now let us know um but otherwise give us give us the likes the subscribes we love the love and we desperately love to hate. need it yeah <laughs> i i don't know i'll be we, fine either way we love to hate but good god do we need affection in return uh, thanks again to Gailstorm Kitsune for doing the artwork for the channel and to Pajo for the intro and outro songs, which we used in the more you lore, but it was all blubby because I don't know why. I just wanted to change it up. Okay. <laughs> Guys, what do you, you want to say for the ending? You know how we sometimes do a little goof, a little yeah, joke? Yeah, I, 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 do, I was going to do my little goof. I would say... Nega, Ethan, and I go out for brunch sometimes, but we decided to just stay friends. Well, I've been CJ. <laughs> I've been Ethan. And I've been Fran. Take your Nega self to brunch. <laughs>